privilege to have the Sangaloon family here with us. Uh, Chris and I spent a lot of time together at college, and we roommate. We were roommates for a little bit. As Chris was Sam's younger brother, so every now and then he just needed to get beat up, and he would just run into Sam's room and start touching all of Sam's stuff, and then Sam would come out like a hornet and beat him up, and me and Mike Fisher would sit on the couch and watch. And it was just, it was good fun. It was great fun. It was a stress relief for everybody. Chris felt better. Sam felt better. Mike and I felt better. We'd all go back and study. Ah, yes, good times. Uh, but w my wife and I traveled with Laura as well in evangelism uh, with Jim Van Geldren. And we were reminiscing about some, some uh, experiences there. So it's been good to be able to minister with them and then see what God's continuing to do in their lives and how he's leading them back to Africa. So the rest of the time is yours, Chris and Sandilands. Well, when you're a missionary coming in to speak somewhere, regarding those stories, I'll just say the pastor's always right. So, but he's just like my middle brother, Jim, who has a, he has a memory of some of these stories that's a little different than my perspective, but uh, we, we are excited to be here. I'm, I'm number four of the five Sanderland kids, and we are thankful for how God has worked in our family's life over the years, and then how he has clearly uh, just clarified and directed that now is the time to go on deputation for Cameroon. We just started in August. I will uh, introduce my family, and they're going to come and play a special. Then we'll show uh, the video after that, and then we'll share some of our testimony before we open up the Word of God tonight. But one of our daughters isn't quite feeling herself uh, tonight, and out of precaution, she is, she is banished to the, to the house in the parking lot there. Um, but uh, it's not been real fun the last couple years. And by the way, you can pray for my, my mom and my brother Jim. They're both sick with COVID right now, too. They've been sick for over a week. It's been very tough. And uh, out in Illinois and Wisconsin, they had to get together, shared it, and both went home and got sick. So it was sad for them. But you can pray for them. It's been a rough, rough year that way. But I have Gabe is my oldest, and I'll let them go ahead and come on up here because they're going to do their special here, play a special number. Gabe is our oldest, then Benjamin and then Jenna is in the RV, and Lily is the baby, and my wife, Laura. We've been married uh, 13 years, so we're excited for how God has, has led this way. All right, right up here. All right, they're going to play a special. Come on.
We are the Chris Sanderland family, and it is a joy to be with you today. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share with you about our calling to the harvest field of Cameroon, West Africa. Cameroon is sometimes referred to as Africa in miniature because of its beautiful diversity. There are beaches, mountains, rainforests, grassland, and deserts. The two main languages spoken here are English and French, but you might also hear some Pidgin English and tribal languages. Cameroon is considered a Christian nation, but sadly that term includes all kinds of beliefs and practices. About 19% of the population are the Fulani people who practice Islam. There are also traditionalists with their shrines, temples, and false gods. There is truly a need for the gospel to be preached and taught clearly. Cameroon is a country in crisis. Civil unrest between the French government forces and the English separatists has brought death, destruction, and dispersion. Many have fled to Nigeria or safer regions far from their homes and villages. Between the global pandemic and the current unstable political environment, it might humanly seem like a strange time to move our family to Cameroon. And yet, God is still at work. Churches are being planted and continuing on. New ministry opportunities are opening up and Cameroonians are still being saved. God has called us to partner with the veteran missionary families of Tom and Barb Needham, Sam and Abby Sanderlin, as well as several other missionaries and national pastors and evangelists already involved in a church planting and discipleship movement. I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where my father was stationed in the United States Army. I'm so thankful for the influence of Christian parents who led me to the Lord at the age of five. I was called to preach at the age of 16 while attending a Baptist College of Ministry event where I later attended Bible College and met my wife, Laura. In the spring of 2008, I did my college internship in Cameroon with missionary Tom Needham. God used that time to both use me and further convince me of the need for laborers in the harvest field of Cameroon. My wife and I are confident that it is God's perfect timing for us to prepare and to go. I grew up in southeastern Pennsylvania and attended a good solid Baptist church with my family. I accepted Christ at the age of five after hearing an unshackled radio program. I'm excited to be on our way to Cameroon. In 2016, we took a six-month survey trip. I was able to witness missionary life firsthand and learn to live in a third world country. Although we will be returning to a different region, I'm excited to learn French and to raise our kids on the foreign field. I enjoy teaching children and ladies the Word of God, and I look forward to finding creative ways for our children to minister alongside us as well. My name is Gabe, and I was five years old when we went to Cameroon. I didn't like eating so much rice at first, but I got used to it. I'm looking forward to learning French and making new friends in Cameroon. Hi, my name's Ben, and I was three years old during our trip to Cameroon. I actually really liked the rice and avocados, and I even tried some fried termites. My mom tells me I was always getting dirty. I'm looking forward to going back and learning to speak another language. 
I really like sports, music, and art, and I hope God will use those things to help reach kids in Cameroon. Hello, my name is Jenna Faith. I am learning to play the ukulele so I can teach Bible songs to the kids in Cameroon. I am looking forward to living there and meeting new friends. Mommy says I will be a big help to her in the kitchen as we learn to buy and prepare new foods. Hi, my name is Nelly and I've never been to Cameroon before. I'm excited to fly across the ocean and see a new country. During our first term, we plan to settle in the city of Bafasam, where we will work closely with Tom Needham and my brother Sam, while learning French and being involved in a church newly planted in that city. Bafasam is located close to the English section of the country, and there are many English speakers mixed in with the French population. We are being sent by Falls Baptist Church in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, and are so thankful for Pastor Wayne Van Gilderen and his support of our mission. We are also thankful for the additional support and partnership of Baptist World Mission and look forward to what God will do in the mission field of Cameroon in the days ahead. Would you please commit to pray for us as we answer God's call to Cameroon? Would you also consider supporting us financially and investing in the Great Commission being accomplished in the ripe harvest fields of Cameroon, West Africa? my wife come up and give a little bit of her testimony and we will uh, try and fill in some of the details. I'll give you a couple extra details just because you know my, my brother Sam or some of you do I'm sure. Uh, some of the timeline of that would be Sam began to be convinced and of he was going to Cameroon and then I ended up going over there and doing an internship in 2008 for four months before Sam and Abby had ever been over there and the majority of that time I spent, how many of you, if you're familiar with their ministry, have heard of the, of the town of Indop? Uh, so the majority of the four months that I was there, uh, Pastor Chrysanthus, which if you know Sam's ministry, you've heard of him, he was in that video. He and I would bum rides, get on bikes, and we would go down to Indop every Saturday just to pass out tracks, to go soul winning, and, re, and invite people to a Sunday afternoon Bible study. That core group of people that formed on that Sunday afternoon Bible study uh, groups of them trusted Christ. That's the group that Sam, when he got there for his first term, worked with Chrysanthus. Those people were the nucleus of that church plan and end up. So it was very exciting for us to be able to go back and see people that, for as far as I'm concerned, I was going so winning in Africa was, you know, you're, you're out of yourself because you're the only, you're the only person without, uh, you know, you, you stick out like a sore thumb. But we were, I was thankful to be able to go back and already see what God does when you just witness, invite people to study the Bible and work with people. And it was encouraging to see God already do that. So we're excited to get to actually go and work back with them. We've already been over there a few times and, and are excited for how God has clarified that. But we'll give you some of our personal testimony. I'll let Laura give hers and then I'll give mine. Okay. Um, I was born in Pennsylvania, in Southeast Pennsylvania. Some of you might know my older brother, Mike. He's uh, Mike, Mike Frew, Mike and Sarah Frew are missionaries to Hungary. That's my older brother. Um, 
But yeah, I grew up in a in a Christian family for the, for the most part. My dad was saved a little bit later. Um, but when I got into my teen years, I had I had a really rough time dealing with my parents. Uh, didn't have a very good marriage, and a lot of things happened inside the home that um, people just at church probably wouldn't know, and those kinds of things made me very bitter against my parents, and I got rebellious. I went. I'm sad to say I went through my teen years and didn't come through victoriously. I was I was rebellious. I got into some bad things. And I had a very godly music pastor sit me down one day, and he just said, Laura, God's got a beautiful plan for your life, and God's given you so many things, and he has so many, you know, he has a way that he wants to use your life. And if you keep, you know, going this direction and, and letting your parents' issue ruin, you know, destroy you, and, and make you better, you're going to miss that. And at the time, uh, it, it didn't really mean much to me. I just kind of went on my way, and I was very stone-faced to him. But what he said to me, and I just want to encourage you, that if, if God ever prompts you to speak a word like that of faith to somebody, say it, even if you feel like they don't want to hear it or they're not listening, because it did go inside of me and stuck with me really my whole life. But at that, from that point on, I kind of, I just had a fear, I guess, of missing God's will for my life and an intense desire to know, to know that I'm in the will of God. And that stuck with me um, through some difficult decisions even later in life, um, even who, who you should marry. I mean, if you want God's perfect and best will, uh, he, will he will bring that about in your life if you follow him. And when it came to going to Cameroon, um, there were times of going back and forth. If any of you have ever been in Africa or on a, in a third world country, you know it's difficult to live there. There's, there's um, <laughs> just you know things that aren't pleasant and comfortable, and it's it's a lot of work to live in another country. And we were we we got very sick when we were there. Just things like that. And to think of taking your your kids over into that and. Of course, a lot of things have happened in the country since we were there. Um, Mr. Wesco was killed. Uh, there's civil war right now, which wasn't the case when we were there before. We have to go back and we have to speak French, and so I'm looking at it. I have to learn French. And there were just times where I, I it was so much easier to stay in the States. I'm sure God would just call us to something here, and or maybe a, an English-speaking country, a nice, a nice country in Europe, you know, Sweden or something. But. Um, <laughs> Cameroon just kept coming back, and there, there was this spring. Um, we were really seriously talking about it, and I have to admit, I had a little bit of a fear in my heart of actually going there and it really happening. And um, one Sunday, I was listening to our choir sing "Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners," what the kids sang, and I wasn't up in the choir for whatever reason. I was running late, which is just something that I do, I think. But I was sitting in the front row and just didn't make it up there in time. And I was listening to them sing, and right at the end, they sang, um, saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. And it felt uh, like Jesus was sitting next to me in the pew and telling me, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with you, and I want you to go there. And that, um, there's nothing special about us. It's just that God told us to go there. And that's where God wants us to be. And now, ever since that point... I know 100% for sure that we're supposed to be there. And like I said, there's nothing like knowing that you are in the center of the circle of God's will and then 
all the struggles and all the fears and things, they just kind of fade away because you know you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. And so I'm, I'm thankful that he did that for me. And I'm very excited to be on deputation and heading the camera. Thank you. I'm very thankful for my, uh, my wife's support. Obviously, we couldn't be doing this if we weren't going together. Very thankful for how God's worked in her life. I, uh, I grew up also in a Christian home. My dad was military, got saved, and we were in a church in Kansas. And uh, we moved around and we're in some good churches. And I still remember distinctly when it comes to this matter of being a missionary, going to Cameroon, I was at a Christian camp this summer, got to speak at uh, Shatek. And a young man asked me, how do you become a missionary? And he just asked that simple question, which all of us, we, we know the missionary routine, missionaries come in. But I would just tell you, missionaries are just people like you and I. I mean, you, anybody out here, I, I, if I'm, a mission, if I'm a, in the category called missionary, I look at any of you and say, I, I don't know who God could send, but God could send anybody. But I remember thinking about that question, how do you get to be a missionary? And honestly, in my life, it's been just one step of whatever the Lord wanted me to do. One step at a time, one day at a time of getting up and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What, what, is, it, what is it about? And I remember distinctively in, in camp, uh, Bob Loggins preached a message on Romans 12, 1 and 2 about the Christian's responsibility to present himself to the Lord for what God wants him to do. And it's his reasonable service. I, I'm thankful for being led to the Lord as a five-year-old. I heard the gospel over and over and over again because somebody led my mom to the Lord. She, her whole family was unsaved, and a, and a neighbor lady led her to the Lord as an 11-year-old. Then her sister got saved. Then my unsaved grandfather got saved in his 30s. And then eventually the whole family got saved. And I didn't take it for granted because of that testimony in her life that I had gotten saved. I knew I'd gotten saved. God had a reason. God had a purpose for our family. I remember just telling the Lord, Lord, Romans 12, 1 and 2, whatever this means, I want your will in my life. And I don't even necessarily know what that means in five years from now, but I'm just giving right now, whatever you want for my life, I'm trusting you with it. And God began really just working on my heart. He, he, I was a, a regular church kid that was in church all the time. My dad was a deacon. We were there, you name it. We were, we were there at the work projects, the special services, I, uh, I had a pastor who really loved me and discipled me for a period of time there, and, and we were there. And God began working on my heart that even though I was doing all these things, all, this, all the stuff that I was living for myself and doing my own thing in private and, and, and on my own time, God began chipping away at those things, again, working on those things, and began loving me and just showing me the Word of God, how to grow out of those things. I ended up going to Bible college because God told me to do it. I was pretty convinced I'm going to get expelled or quit or not be able to handle. I hated, I, I didn't enjoy school, but God called me there. And you know what? God helped me there. And God actually really worked in my life there. And uh, I, I have the saying, I, I learned English when I took Greek in college. Because I, 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 I was a work for my dad as quick as I could early in the day. Go, get my school done and go to work. And uh, supplemented my high school transcript with shop class credits, you know, because I, I, I did not enjoy school, didn't want to go to Bible college. But when you trust the Lord one step at a time, he'll take care of you. He's, he's enough. And in that whole process, God eventually answered specific prayers to, Lord, I want to go on a missions internship. This is before 
that school really did that. And God very clearly opened the door and led me and directed me to this guy named Tom Needham, who invited me to Cameroon. And just the way God arranged that, I knew pretty clearly that that's what I was supposed to do with my internship. I didn't even know where Cameroon was at that point in time. I had never thought of that before. But God led, God worked, and God blessed in that time. And since then, it's been the same thing. It's been one step of what does God want me to do? So whether it be helping in whatever church maintenance issue or nursing home ministries or whether it be traveling with a youth evangelism team. Uh, some of you know Adam Burt. He and I traveled 15 weeks together in Minutemen. And that's uh, all these guys that I have gotten to know. I, I want you to know my role in life is to help them with their sanctification. They had to live with me and put up with all the stuff, all the, all the random things that just come out of my mouth. And these guys, God was just one step at a time letting me see what God is trying to do in getting the gospel to this lost world. Uh, all of this time in, in this all story, I've been working the heating and air conditioning trade. That was a family business. You go inside people's houses and you meet the needs and you see what kind of a life they're living. And we live in a lost and needy world that needs the Lord Jesus. And our churches have all these, uh, you know, we, we're trying to reach people, but the bottom line is you, you have the battles that happen in your own personal life, in your churches, in your families. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have something worth talking about. And, and that's the testimony I have is just one step at a time, the Lord delivering, the Lord leading, the Lord using us in different situations. It's been a blessing to see the blacks. We were at the Bill Rice there for a period of time. And just different steps I've seen in, in the past 15 years, how God has led us one step at a time in different circumstances, learning all these different lessons and, 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 and trades and skills to then send us to a place where there is a great need for laborers. Um, Cameroon is a, is a population of about 30, 30 million people. About two-thirds of that would be French-speaking. When we begin praying, realizing that we're going to the French side, not the English side, begin digging into that and realize things like there are 400, and some of these numbers may not be 100% accurate, but 475 million French speakers in the world. And 70% of those are in Africa. Okay, so of the 470 million francophones in the world, 70% are in Africa. So this crisis in Cameroon where missionaries and, and nationals are getting a burden for their own people on the French side, the, the grounding of a solid work on the French side of Cameroon has the potential to send laborers all throughout the French-speaking Africa. And we're, we're excited to see what the Lord will do. Our our plan is God clarified and we stepped into deputation, just stepped out of the job here in August and uh, into full-time deputation just, just a little bit here. So we're still learning. Um, this, this little trio here has been, normally been a quartet. And when you're, when you're missing, Jenna's my firecracker. She's, uh, she loves to sing and play. And so we're still learning how do, you, how do you do this deputation thing. Sickness happens, all this stuff happens. But we... We are going, when we get there, to the Bafasam area where Sam and Abby and Tom and Barb are. And we'll learn French. And Lord willing, within a first term, partner with one of the national men. There are several guys that I've known that were younger guys that were involved in some of the ministries I was involved in even. And now they are mature men with families that are ready to go into some of these towns. There are any number of a dozen towns of over 100,000 people without a single gospel preaching church. So we're asking the Lord to get us there, help us learn French, help us to get connected with the right folks and get plugged in in the right place. Also, the radio ministry is a ministry you may or may not know a lot about there, but 
the men there have been developing this within the first experimental la launching of that radio ministry. They've had uh, over six digits, 100,000, 300,000 listeners asking them, do not take this off. We don't have anything like this. Please keep this going. So they're in the middle. They opted to build it in-country instead of bringing the parts in from overseas and using U.S. engineering. They're engineering it there in-house. We get this 100-foot antenna up, and it'll go to easily a 7 million-person radius within the first tower construction. So we're asking God. That's a, a cooperative of those churches that is uh, planning to do that. We're going to be involved in some of the technical side of that. But we're asking the Lord to get us there because the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do a work there. Um, we get really focused on the needs in our own life, and I, I get that. I understand Wednesday night. Majority of Wednesday nights of my life are me not wanting to come to church because I'm tired from being at work all day and grabbing a cup of coffee, putting things in order, getting into church. And then I'm always glad I did. I'm always thankful that I came because I, I you know, the, the mess that I was dealing with at work, the Lord Jesus meets with me and ministered in my heart through other believers, through the preaching, through the singing. There's nothing like a gathering of local believers who are gathering for fellowship, gathering here the word of God to sing. And I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus is in the midst. And Jesus makes the difference. Tonight, turn to Mark chapter 5. And I want to share just a, a principle that I learned when we went over in 2015, we were self-employed, a couple, a couple churches helped us, but for the most part it was my dad and I cooperated, we worked, left the business with him in, from January to May and went over as a family to really seek the Lord about long-term ministry there, but also to be involved in several short-term projects that were going on. There were some major projects that were going to be happening. Caitlin was going to be born that March, so we were excited to get to go over there and be involved in that process Help, help my brother's family that way. But in that time, God very clearly, halfway through that time, clarified that we weren't coming back on full -time, as full-time missionaries at that point. And we really wrestled through that. We weren't sure how this was supposed to work in the, in the grand scheme of things. I remember talking to Pastor Ernest, who's a national pastor there, and he took me to Mark chapter 5 and said, you know, Chris, God doesn't necessarily need American missionaries in Cameroon. He needs people to do what God tells them to do. And for you, that may be to go home to your friends and family and tell them what God is doing in your life and what God is doing here. Maybe you should go home and tell them about what God has done here. And, and just to give you a little detail on that, the, the burden of the national leadership of the national pastors there, most of whom did not grow up in Christian homes, were all led to the Lord in their teens or 20s, have, have found a godly wife, are trying to raise families and plant churches. Their burden is the gospel to every creature in Cameroon, that everybody should hear the gospel, that every village should have a church, and that every church should have a pastor. And the burden is to ask God to do that in any way we can do this, in any way we can cooperate and help each other, starting local churches and getting the gospel everywhere. And one of the principles that God really began to ground that group of believers in is that how, how do you do that? Well, it starts by every believer embracing the Great Commission that when Jesus said, go ye into all the world, that's every believer. He told his disciples, go ye, teach them, baptize them, disciple them, and teach them to do everything I'm telling you right now, which is this go ye. The idea being that everybody is a recipient of that Great Commission. And so from the ground level, how do you, you, you see someone saved, 
Where do you start with them? And there's others that have, have articulated this principle, but it made a lot of sense to me as he walked through Mark chapter 5, this principle of going and telling your friends and family what God has done for you. And I want us to read this portion of Scripture tonight and just talk about where mission starts with this principle of telling your story. Mark chapter 5, verse number 1, is the story of the maniac of the Gadarenes. And we're going to read this passage here. And if you have your Bible, follow along. And if not, just listen. I'll read it. I want us to absorb this. Think about it. I know it's a Wednesday night. Get, in, get your mind in gear and let the Word of God uh, minister to your heart here tonight. It says, And they came over to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, that's Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Jesus said unto the man, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000. I want to pause right there. We know this story, but just put yourself in this situation. I had the privilege of going to Israel, and the Sea of Galilee is down in a bowl there. And this man was occupying, and one of the reasons they most likely were binding him and chaining him, and this is just my own personal take on it from seeing a couple of the spots where he could have been, you couldn't get past this guy if you were traveling on foot around the Sea of Galilee. You were either taking a boat or going a long way out of your way because this guy was dominating that area. They couldn't bind him. I don't necessarily think they're even trying to help him. Is just secure him, stop him. They could not stop him. They could not help him. They couldn't control him. I think this guy is very much representative of the problem in the world today, this problem of sin, of Satan, of evil, a problem that has no solution in any of the attempts we throw at it, where there is no help for this problem that we have. We, when, when, you, when you try, you can maybe conceal it, you can maybe get around it, you can maybe just function through it. You hear this term, functional addicts, our country's full of it. People who get by satisfying themselves on something other than Jesus while functioning in fairly normal lives, but the problems they have, there really aren't any solutions and they've tried everything. And they've tried everything. Others have tried everything. And they can't be helped. But in this situation, we see Jesus come on the scene. And I want you to notice the solution here is actually, was actually extremely simple. Look at verse number 13. I want you to point something out. The Bible says, And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. So the man's underlying issue, we know that he was possessed with a multitude of demons. We understand that that's the basic detail of the story here. When Jesus stepped in and dealt with this, it wasn't a wrestling match. It wasn't a let's talk and pray about this for two weeks. Jesus was in a position where he, with a word, 
gave, he, he gave the, the spirits permission to, to go into the pigs. This wasn't a wrestling between them, who's going to win? It was them realizing that they were defeated and asking for a lesser punishment and he gave them leave. The idea in this being there wasn't a struggle when it came to Jesus with this problem this man had. And in this man's story, he, he, here's a man who tried everything, others had tried everything, and there was no help until he met Jesus. And I want to continue reading this today, but the, just keep in mind that we would say this is the Jesus we know and that we love. And it is the Jesus we know and love. And he is alive and well today, and he's doing the same thing today. If we let him, if we walk with him, if we give him access to those issues, he does this. He binds the, he breaks the chains, he, he, lets, he, he deals with them. Look at this, look at the resolution of this story here. Verse 14, and they that fled the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but he saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And the principle of this story for us tonight is we see this man who was in complete bondage to the devil, who Jesus, by just showing up and being himself, delivered him from his issues. And he's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And this man's story was such a story that everybody noticed this story because this was the maniac. This was the guy nobody could help. And they saw him literally clothed in his right mind and they were afraid of that. What would it be like for some of the people that we pray for if they were totally transformed? I think sometimes we don't actually think God can do it. That's one of the reasons we preach stories like this is to remember that this is who Jesus is. Jesus can take people and so change them that their friends and family are afraid of this situation. They're, 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 they're a little bit troubled by this. This isn't just something that they can dismiss and say, not for me, no thanks, been there, done that, not interested in that religion stuff. This got their attention. Now, the, the, the kind of the application to this that I would say tonight is what does this have to do with us? Look at what Jesus says to the man here. And this man's response, I think, was natural. He's, he prayed Jesus to be with him. I think if I was that guy, I would be the same way. I want to be with you. I want to be one of these guys that's following you around, and, in the, and he wanted to go get in a boat and go back with him. And Jesus says, no. Jesus tells him, no. Jesus says, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Early church history would say that, that this man's influence was one of the reasons why the early church had a head start and a real foothold in that region of Galilee because they had one of the first missionaries that went to them and told them about Jesus Christ. And historians would say that the early church had great numbers on the east side of the Galilee where this man was from 
And there's different details that you can go either way. The Bible says that all men did marvel. He began to publish in all of that 10 city region, the Decapolis, what Jesus Christ had done for him. And I want to challenge you with this thought this, this evening. Maybe you don't have a story where you're the guy nobody could bind. Maybe your story didn't involve a semi-truck of pigs running off into Lake Michigan or something like that. Maybe you're not the guy that had the headlines, you know, maniac of Gadara finally gets into a pair of Levi's, you know. You know, who knows? Your story may not be that way. For me, it was a five-year-old boy who heard the gospel over and over again and finally understood it and asked the questions and, and my parents led me to the Lord. And then my story of one step at a time walking with the Lord. You know what I found the Lord Jesus wants us to do is to tell our story. To tell others what Jesus Christ has done for you. Whether, and, and, and I think strictly in this, it's obviously his deliverance, but you know what I've seen in, with my coworkers, my customers, my neighbors? That when I'm letting Jesus have his way in my life, and Jesus works a solution out when it came to a major health crisis or a vehicle situation or a major incident that happened in our family or when you're at a funeral and you're burying your, your loved one and you get to testify about what God had done, you get to tell your story to these folks. They get to see Jesus through your story. And really, when Jesus is ministering to your life, your story is telling others about Jesus. You're not so much talking about all these chains that nobody could buy me with as much as you're telling them about the one who broke the chains. When you let Jesus deliver you and work in your life and lead your life, your story begins one of you getting to tell a lost world who has no idea what you're talking about. Your story is telling them, is showing them Jesus Christ. I can think of uh, just even just recently, my neighbor, He's an he's a Afghan war veteran, third shift worker, been through drugs and alcohol and divorce. He's five, six years younger than me. And uh, uh, I forget the number now, but it was at least five of his team members were killed within a week of his first deployment in the Marines there in Afghanistan. And you get to meet a guy like this, and what does somebody who's married, has a family, likes to keep his yard mowed, what do you have in common with people that feel like their life is a total loss. He moved in with his grandmother because of her of, of the husband's death, and we'd been we'd been reaching out to her. And you know, over the last three years, really two years of getting to know him, I've been praying, God, would you give me opportunities? Would you? He needs the gospel, but I haven't always been able to give him the gospel. He wasn't either interested or open. But as we begin to just share with him what the Lord Jesus was doing in our life and invite him to different things, and he's never set foot in, in our church one time. He lives across the street from it. But he has seen Jesus through the different believers that he meets, and he hears their stories to where the last time I got to talk with him and, and, and pray for him, I, I'd love to update people in a prayer letter here in the next few months of when the Lord saves him, because I believe he's going to get saved. But just a few weeks ago, because of stepping into deputation, I now see him more because he gets home and I'm actually home. Uh, every Thursday, Friday, we've been home and we've been able to see him. 
we got to get into a 45-minute conversation where baptismal regeneration versus gospel by grace through faith was discussed. And he's asking all these questions. We got to go through the whole gospel and ask all kinds of defining questions. And this guy is asking questions and wanting to know what it would take for him to get back on track with God. Because he's starting to realize that this Jesus does things in people's lives. And I've seen them. And, and it happens because God's people talk about it. Sometimes we like to keep our talking about Jesus to our soul winning times. And we need to do that. We need to have set aside times where we go out to make it a point to just talk about him. But then there's also times where we need to ask God, how do I share my story? How do I tell people what God has done for me? How do I tell them who this Jesus is? And, 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 and we just, we need to do that. We, we often think that we don't have a story or I don't know what to say or I'm not smart enough or this person has issues I can't help them with and we, we stop telling our story. We stop telling anybody about, about what Jesus is doing. I'll give you one illustration of this where it was amazing to me to see what God did with this simple principle. In Cameroon in 2015, I was there with my brother Sam and right below Tom Needham's house, the Cameroonian military set up a special forces training camp called the BIRs, the Brigade of Rapid Insertion. And they were training in those mountainsides, at that time training to fight against Boko Haram in the north. And those guys would be out exercising, out doing all their stuff at all times of the day. And it was very intimidating. In Africa, the, the military is not your friend. The military is a tool of intimidation and of power. So you're typically getting out of their way and hiding, even before this current conflict. But coming from a military background, Sam especially, as well as some other missionaries and myself, begin asking, what about those guys? Is there a way to get the gospel to them? And if you, some of you may remember this if you've been reading their prayer letters long enough, but this began to be prayed about and discussed in looking for ways into this military base. And we got a load of, of military branded Bibles in French and English. And we began talking to the commander, can we possibly come in sometime and distribute scriptures to your soldiers? And again, this is not America where the military has anything to do with the private world or the church. And we didn't even understand all this. It was a very, very much a fearful thing. How do we do this? But the Lord began to open those doors to the point where the military commander and the contact we had, we weren't even sure if we'd gotten the right person. We weren't sure if the guys at the gate knew we were coming when we showed up. So you show up at a base, and if they don't know you're coming, this isn't, you know, the fact that we we're Americans, maybe it would give them some pause, but most people stay away from military bases in Africa. We'll just put it that way. We got permission to go. We had all the Bibles with us. We weren't sure what kind of opportunity was going to happen, but they ended up bringing us in and putting us right in the middle of the assembly ground, calling all three of the companies that were there into formation, standing at attention. So these are African G.I. Joe-men, okay? These are 6'3", guys that could rip your head off in, in a half a second, guys, all of them. Just, just strong men, tough men, their, their commander chews them out in French. You know, whatever he said, I didn't know, but it was, you better listen to these guys. And then they told us, it's yours for as long as you want. Say whatever you want. So we literally had the opportunity, not knowing that this was going to happen. We, weren't, we, we had the opportunity to do whatever we wanted, to say whatever we wanted. So Sam gets up and says, well, I'll start with my testimony, I guess. This is what he's thinking because he, he wasn't sure what was going to happen when we got there that day. And he gives a testimony of how his soldier father led him to Christ as a boy. How his father, who was a United States military officer, 
how he had trusted Christ and how he led his family in the faith and how he led his children to the Lord and led them in church. And you could see eyes, like guys coming, kind of coming out of their, 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 their glue face and just, what is this man saying? And we came to find out that in Cameroon, to be in the military means you're going to hell. That's the belief. Because you are an instrument of the devil and you're there to kill people. And the general consensus among a lot of them, not every one of them was this ignorant, but a lot of them felt that if you're in the military, it means I'm going to hell. There's no reason to even try and do right or anything with God. And here they are being told by this American missionary that the Bible says that soldiers can be saved and go to heaven and live for God. And it started with my brother giving his testimony, his story. Now, his story doesn't always make an impact like that everywhere he goes, but that day it did. That day it opened those doors to where every one of those Bibles was gone. They all took them. They weren't worried about what their friend thought. Even if they couldn't speak English, they were getting the English-French version, and his story made an impact. And it wasn't the first time he'd shared his story. And I, I would just say this evening, in conclusion, missions really at its heart is telling others about Jesus Christ and how he can save them and what he did for you. It's witnessing the gospel. And really it happens in Cameroon, but it can happen here. And in Cameroon, you don't always know what to do either, but it's, Lord, help me go tell someone about Jesus. And it really, I'll tell you this, when you get off track with all the different issues and details and battles of life, Go tell someone who doesn't know about Jesus about Jesus. Go tell them your story, and you'll be the most encouraged person you know. And if you haven't shared your story in a long time or ever of how Jesus Christ saved you, ask the Lord to help you. Volunteer, Lord, help me to share my story with my neighbor, with my coworker. Help me to tell them what you've done for me. And if you don't have anything to tell, ask the Lord Jesus, why not? Lord, help me to remember what you've done for me. And, and Lord, maybe I'm not spending enough, enough time with you. I, I need to be able to tell what you're doing in my life. And ask the Lord to use you. And he will use you. One of the burdens that I have as we go on deputation is we're not just raising support to get to Africa. We're going to different churches to tell them what God has done in our life and to encourage them that God wants to do the same things in their life. That the people that they know and are burdened for, God wants to reach them. Keep believing the Lord and trusting the Lord and, and telling those people what God is doing, and God will use you. God always works when you tell others about him. And tonight, just a simple principle. Maybe you've got this question or this question or this question, but I'd have the question, when's the last time you shared your story with a lost person about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you and what he can do for them? Ask the Lord to take you and to use you to be a mouthpiece like this man. Again, you may not have the same story he did, but I guarantee you, if you're sitting here tonight and your sins have been washed away, and you're on your way to heaven, you have a story worth talking about. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you've had your sins forgiven, and you're on your way to heaven, you have a story worth talking about. And Jesus told this man, go home, tell your friends and family what God has done for you, and hath had compassion on you. And that man made an impact with just that story. And tonight, in, in conclusion, I would just ask, pray for us as we go on deputation as we go to Cameroon, but also pray that God would use you because we're burdened to see our country continue to be reached while we're gone. And we're excited to see what God will do in the days ahead, both in uh, our ministry in Ann Arbor, but also here at, at uh, our ministry in Cameroon, but also here in Ann Arbor. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for uh, praying for us and the great hospitality we've had. 
And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what God will do in the days ahead. Pastor? Appreciate that very much. That is a blessing. Tell your story. On Sunday night, we were talking about what does it mean to be a witness? Why did he tell us, ye shall be witnesses? A witness, if you think of the courtroom, is someone who gives a firsthand account, a, an eyewitness account. And uh, if you didn't have an eyewitness account, they don't want you in the courtroom. Uh, well, we are commanded to be witnesses. Tell your story. Give your eyewitness account of what God has done in your life. And don't be ashamed of it. And if you stumble all over yourself and make an absolute fool of yourself, even Paul said, we're fools for Christ's sake, right? That's what he said. We're fools. Uh, and it's for the Lord. It's for his sake. Uh, and so uh, God will humble you, and God will make you desperate, and it'll make you uh, more prayerful, more dependent. And I have certainly done it where I got all tangled up and couldn't say my testimony to save my life. And you go away saying, Lord, help me. Lord, draw me closer. Help me to have your words. And God will answer that prayer. Thank you, Brother Chris. I appreciate that. We're going to go into our prayer time. I'm going to dismiss the teens for their afterglow. So wherever Pastor CJ is, follow him. And thank you, teenagers, for being in here. Pray about what was said. Do you have a story, too, that you can tell? And uh, sometimes it's the story that comes from the young people that rings the clearest. So pray for our young people. Well, let's take a few minutes and go to prayer. Find somebody next to you or down the pew or someone from your life group or whatever and, uh, and, and, and pray the next few minutes. Let's pray for the Sandlins. Pray for Tom Needham and Sam Sandlin and their families over there in Cameroon and God's continued work.